0: 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter number 27, 1 Samuel chapter 27, and I appreciate everyone being here tonight. We've got uh, folks all over the property in discipleship and uh, some in Master Club, and if you see our kids walking around in Master Club tonight in costume, uh, somebody did not mix up the memo, it's not Halloween, Uh, tonight is character night. In uh, Master Clubs, all the kids are dressed up uh, in characters, so uh, if you see one of them, maybe brag on them a little bit, tell them you like their costume uh, or their outfit. I know I saw Brother John wearing his SpongeBob t-shirt tonight, so... Uh, We'll just see what happens. But anyway, uh, when we left off a couple weeks ago uh, in chapter 26, remember Saul had reaffirmed his words to David that he would no longer go on the hunt for David and for uh, trying to take his life. And uh, It was the second time that he said something like that. Remember the first time Saul had uh, gone back on his word. Uh, David was concerned about that. But maybe this time would be different. Something would change. Maybe uh, David would uh, have some sense of relief. Even though a couple chapters before, he was uh, contemplating the fact that every day he woke up with the thought process that today would be the last day. So maybe this time would be different. And David could have been on a spiritual high, could have been on an an encouraging note. uh, But no matter what he said out loud, there was a battle going on on the inside. There was a battle that was raging inside David's heart. And David is struggling internally, and that comes out in our text in 1 Samuel chapter 27. Let's look at verse number one. The Bible says, And David said in his heart. Will you say those three words with me? In his heart. Again, in his heart. It's significant to us because the things that we say in our hearts to ourselves find a way to work themselves out in our day to day lives. David says in his heart, look at what he said, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. Now remember, just one verse prior, uh, he had the confidence from Saul that uh, Saul's not going to go after him anymore. Saul's not going to try and get me anymore. Uh, Saul gave his word that he was going to stay away from David. They each go their separate ways. But we see in verse number 1 that he says in his heart, I'm going to die. Saul is finally going to get to the place where he kills me. If you're taking notes, you can write down, number one, the acceptance. The acceptance. The key words in his heart. It was almost like David knew that Saul would never change. This is going to be the way that I live the rest of my life. Saul's never going to get to the place where he sees me as an ally instead of an adversary. Uh, David's believing that I'm, I'm not going to be able to rest at night. I'm going to have to go to sleep every night wondering if this is my last night on earth. Every meal that I have, is this my last meal that I partake in? All of these things are going through this, this guy's mind. Everything in David's mind, it reminds us of how we feel from time to time. How we feel like man, Nothing is ever going to change. You ever felt like you see God work again and again, maybe in your own life, maybe in the life of somebody around you? And maybe you see God do miraculous things in the lives of other people and yet you feel like internally that's their life, it's not going to be mine. Uh, Maybe it's something that God does for you and a few weeks after that something crashes and burns and you're like, well, you know, I I knew it couldn't last. I I knew it wasn't going to be long term. I knew it wasn't going to be something that happened over and over and over. Uh, But let's remind ourselves about the messaging of our heart. Let's remind ourselves what the Bible says from Jeremiah 17 verse number 9 when it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23, keep thy heart with all diligence. The word there for keep is guard, protect, safeguard, put a fortress around. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Everything comes from the heart. Everything. That heart is the seat of our emotions. It's the root of our decision making. It's how we function. Everything funnels through our hearts. It guides our lives. It comes from the heart. And if our heart is focused on the wrong things, it'll take us in the wrong direction. And David is speaking to himself in his heart. And he's telling himself something that's not true. And the problem for us today is when we speak to our hearts, we need to speak truth to our heart. Not error, but we need to speak truth. Where is the guy who says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Where is the guy who says, though he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear an evil because I know God's with me. That's not the guy who's speaking in verse number one. The guy who's speaking in verse number one is afraid. And out of fear, he's speaking things that are not true. Paul Tripp said, Your ears listen for what your heart craves. Paul Tripp went on to say, If my heart is the source of my sin problem, then lasting change must always travel through the pathway of my heart. It is not enough to alter my behavior or change my circumstances. Christ transforms people by radically changing their hearts. If the heart doesn't change, the person's words and behavior may change temporarily because of an external pressure or incentive. But when the pressure or incentive is removed, the change will disappear. It all comes back to the heart. J.C. Riles said, The heart must be the principal point to which we attend in all the relationship between God and our souls. What is the first thing we need in order to be Christians? A new heart. Uh, What is the sacrifice God asked to bring to him? A broken and a contrite heart. What is the true circumcision? The circumcision of the heart. What is genuine obedience? To obey from the heart. What is saving faith? To believe with the heart. Where ought Christ to dwell? To dwell in our hearts by faith. What is the chief request that wisdom makes to everyone? My son, give me your heart. Everything in our life flows from our heart. And David is speaking error... In his heart, he's not speaking truth to himself. Remember Ephesians chapter five, verse number nineteen: uh, "Speaking to yourselves." There it is. Speaking to yourselves. How in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That does not mean that we are supposed to be singing everywhere we go. Some of us would say, "Thank you, Lord, uh, my wife or my spouse or my husband or uh, my coworkers don't sing around." Uh, you know, whatever. That does not mean that. What it means is that we should be speaking truthful things to our heart. Speaking truth to ourselves. What does it say? Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We're supposed to be singing, speaking truth to ourselves in our hearts, bringing praise to the Lord. That is our call. That's what we're supposed to do. And it matters what we say to our heart. David's heart was being guided by fear and it leads him to make a poor choice. Look at verse number 2. It says, And David arose, and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. He leads his men to a place where they should not have been. They go to Gath. Anybody remember who was from Gath? Goliath. This is Goliath's king. This is the guy who was the king when Goliath went out on the battlefield to fight the same guy, David. Same guy. Be careful what you say to your heart. Because your heart can lead you to a place where you have no business being. And that's where David is. But look at what happens in verse number 4. It says, And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. Now, we don't know if that's because of where David was. And Saul said, Hey, I'm not going to Gath. I'm not going to the Philistine's backyard to try and get David. But what if it was, and we don't have any indicator to know one way or the other, but what if Saul finally said, Enough's enough. What if David had prematurely acted... When God was stirring Saul's heart. Now we don't really believe that based on Saul's track record that that's possible. But with God all things are possible. There could have been a breakthrough. And if David would have just waited, he could have experienced a breakthrough. But he didn't. Everything, the thing David feared had stopped happening. Saul was done. David ends up in a city of his enemy all because of what he said in his heart. But not only was David there... In verse number 3, it says that he and his men were there. Every man of his household was there. His wives were there. Everybody was there. He led people to a place he had no business being all because of what he said in his heart. You say, well, you know, pastor, that's not that big of a deal. But think about the fact that it causes problems when we speak error to our heart. When we speak things that we know aren't true, my situation's never going to change. We don't know that. It's always going to be this way. We don't know that. We're speaking error to ourselves and speaking the unknown to ourselves when we should be trusting in the Lord for whatever the situation is, for whatever the circumstance is. We need to be speaking truth. Why not speak the things that we know? Hey, the Lord is my shepherd. (laughs) I shall not want. Hey, I I know that when I go through the valley of the shadow of death that God's with me. And I don't have to be afraid because I know who's with me. Why not speak truth to ourselves rather than speaking error to ourselves? And instead of being downtrodden and thrown down and not know about what's going to happen next, why not encourage ourselves Speaking to ourselves with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Speaking to our own heart. Making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Encouraging ourselves in the Lord. It even has an external outflow. Look at verse number 6. Then Achish gave him David Ziklag that day. David is getting stuff. He's far enough away. You look at a map on the screen, you'll see that David is far enough away from everybody else that all of a sudden you see Gaza down in the bottom left-hand side. You see Jerusalem right-hand side. You see where Gath is. If you were to look at Ziklag, the next map shows you where Ziklag is located. It's all the way down at the bottom of your screen. See where Jerusalem is above Judah? See where Gath is, where Goliath is from? Ziklag is all the way down at the bottom of your screen. Down at the bottom of Philistia. He's so far away from everybody else. Hey, David, you and your men can have that city go down there. Now he has been given a city because of prospective allegiance to the enemy. David has started this chapter speaking error to himself. It's causing him to be places where he had no business being. Now he's getting gifts that he has no business taking ownership of. We'll see in two chapters that that actually brings him to the point where he's about to get ready to be killed by his own men. All because, it comes back here to verse number one, he's saying things to himself that are not true. Speaking to his heart. Which leads to the next passage of verses. Not only do we see, number one, the acceptance. Number two, we see the alliance. Look at verse number eight. The alliance. He spends time in the country of the Philistines for over a year. A year and four months. Look at verse eight. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites and the Gizrites and the Amalekites. For whose nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even to the land of Egypt. And David smote the land, left neither man nor woman alive, took away the sheep, oxen, asses, camels, apparel, and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, Whither have you made a road today? Hey, where have you been? Where have you traveled? And David said, Against the south of Judah. Now, look at this map real quick, where we see these Places where he has been, let's look at map number three. There should be one more there, Uh, map number three. All right, now stop right there. See Ziklag, see Gath now at the top. This is further south on our map. You've got the Amalekites. You've got the Geshurites. You've got the Gerzites. These are all enemies of Israel. Okay? But they're all allies of Philistia. Now, let's look again. You see Ziklag right in the middle of the screen? You see the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites all here. What does it say in verse number 9? It says, And David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive, took away the sheep, oxen, asses, camels, apparel, and returned. Now, here's the thing. Not only has David spoken error to himself, Not only has David made choices and aligned himself with people he had no business being in places he had no business going. He's been given gifts that he has no business receiving. Now he's speaking things that he has no business saying. You see the progression? Further and further away, remember this is still the guy, the man after God's own heart. But he's getting farther and farther away from that title. And when Achish says, where have you been? In verse number 10, he says, oh, against the south of Judah. David is saying, hey, I've been fighting the people that you're fighting, Achish. I'm fighting those same people. And look at all this stuff that I brought back. But in reality, David is fighting Achish's allies, not his enemy. What is David doing? He's outright lying to Achish that's a far cry from just internal conversation that David's had with himself but the progression of events how many of us know that once you do one small thing in the wrong way it's easier to do the next wrong thing and it's easier to do the next wrong thing and it's easier to do because we start justifying well what I did there wasn't bad well what I did wasn't wasn't that bad you know nobody knew about that David is going farther and farther away. And if you look at the map, put that uh, third map up there one more time. Look at where he is. He's fighting all these people. Can we go back to the uh, previous map, the, ma- the second map? All right, now look where we are. Ziklag down at the bottom. He's going farther and farther away from where he's supposed to be. Eventually, he will end up in Jerusalem and Hebron, But he's farther and farther away, going farther from his people where he should be. All because of what he said to himself. This is a slippery slope in the Bible where David is just progressively getting worse. He's clearly deceiving Achish, and now he's lying to him. He's showing not just himself, he's convinced himself that this is appropriate, but now he's, remember who he took with him? He's showing his wives that this is acceptable behavior. He's showing his men this is acceptable behavior. He's saying that this is all right, but he's overlooking what his son would say in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 22 lying lips are abomination to the Lord. Lying lips. Psalm 101, verse 7, David said, He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. Colossians 3, verse 9 and 10, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, have put on the new man, which is renewed, in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Because of David's inability to speak truth to his heart, he's now justifying sinful behavior. And it's tax time. It's almost April. It's coming. You know? Hey, we don't do this, do we? Well, you know, it's just one number. It's one decimal. You know, it's not that big. I'm Pastor, it's a white lie. I mean, it's not that big of a d- be careful what we say to ourselves. Be careful that slope gets slippery the further you down, further down you go. It's easy to begin justifying. And while David is fighting for Achish, seemingly for Achish, he's actually fighting for Israel. Every one of these groups were enemies of Israel. They had been pronounced judgment by God. Everything. And David is playing both sides rather than picking the right side. Wiping out all these groups. It's helping Israel. And by leaving no survivors, there's nobody to tell the story the right way. And when asked about it, he tells Akish, hey, I've been attacking your enemies, Akish. But in verse 12, look at the response from Akish. And Akish believed David. He's gotten to the place where he's a good liar. All from speaking to his heart. Hey, I'm afraid. Saul's gonna get me. I'm gonna wake up every single day and I'm gonna die one day. And he now he's to the point where he is convincing the wrong people that he's telling the truth while he's telling a bold-faced lie. See how we've gone just from a personal, one-on-one, internal conversation with David, and now it's become something else. That's what happens when people allow their heart to lead them. You know, it's, it's the Disney princess model. Follow your heart. You know, we don't want to follow our heart. That's where David's heart has led him to this place where he is. We justify poor choices and eventually the truth comes out. Remember Moses told the people in Numbers chapter 32? He said, hey, you've made these commitments to the Lord. You said that you're going to fight when we go to battle against these places in Canaan. But if you don't, he said, be sure your sin will find you out needs to plaster it on all of our walls at our homes. The promises and commitments we make to the Lord when we commit our lives to Him, we submit ourselves to Him, when we go back on those promises, be sure your sin will find you out. David had no way of knowing how far this deceptive behavior was going to take him. And we don't know, have no way of knowing how far our deception and how far our deceptive behavior could lead us. But why would we want to find out? Why would I want to roll the dice and say, oh, nobody will know? Could we not make a decision right now that we're never going to put ourselves in that place? I'm not going to even find out. I'm not going to put myself in that place. Dad used to say when we were growing up, if you don't want to break your arm in three places, you stay out of those places. I'll get that later. Make a decision right now. Hey, I'm not ever going to be in one of those places. I'm going to make sure that I don't find out because I'm not even going to get close enough to where that could happen to me. We see third, the advice. The advice. If you've ever been walk, watching a movie and you come to the end of the movie and you're watching the time and you're like, man, this thing's getting ready to get, get done but it's getting ready to get good and it leaves you on that cliffhanger, that's what's getting ready to happen in the story. This is the, cliff ha- the cliffhanger. David is left with a choice. Look at verse number one. And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their army together for warfare to fight with Israel. Now, this is new. Verse one, And Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle, thou and thy men. Uh Uh-oh. Here's a problem. This is not, I'm going to send you now, David. This is, David, you're going to go with me. Because of your... Fierce loyalty to me, David. I'm going to let you go on the front line with me. Now this is a major problem. David has put himself in the middle of this situation. Look how he responds, verse 2. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. Every time we go out to battle from here on out, David, you're going to be right by my side. That's a problem. And David has put himself in a predicament that we'll have to talk about next week because it's the next chapter. Look at how it transitions now in verse number 3. Now Samuel was dead and all Israel lamented him. Uh, the, The context shifts right back to Jerusalem where Saul is. And it says that Saul had put away all those that were familiar, had familiar spirits in the wizards out of the land. Saul made decisions to remove, to honor the law from Leviticus chapter 19, when God specifically said in verse 31, Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be befiled by them. I am the Lord your God, Leviticus 20 verse 6. And the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul, will cut him off from among his people. Saul had made these proclamations. and We're going to remove anybody that has anything to do with witchcraft and sorcery. We're going to remove them out of the nation. And that's important in just a minute. Verse 4, And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together. They pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid. And his heart greatly trembled. Philistines assembled Came out against David, or out against Saul, Saul and all of his men as he had done before. Hey, we're gonna, just gonna go out there and we're gonna fight. But this time's different. Saul is afraid here. We don't know why, but look at verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, here's the scary part the Lord answered him not. All of a sudden, Saul is all alone. Look at the rest of verse 6. Neither by dreams, nor by Urim, which is a way that they contacted, spoke to the Lord, the high priest, nor by prophets. You remember in chapter 22, when Saul had all the prophets executed? Doeg, hey, go over and kill all those prophets. Ahimelech. Abiathar escapes and runs and now he's with David. There are no prophets left. God is not speaking to Saul. God is not answering these prayers. Samuel is dead in verse 3. He has nowhere to turn. That's a good reason to be afraid, Saul. You have nowhere to go. You're all on your own. You ever felt like that? Felt like you're all by yourself? Hey, I'm out here on an island. It's just me. Feel like you can't get through to God? Feel like you can't? You don't have that connection. Saul's problem was simple. Psalm sixty-six, verse eighteen: If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That was Saul's problem. Saul had sin in his life, and he was not doing anything to correct it. Oh, David, I'm sorry. Go back. Oh, David, I I, I didn't mean it. Go back. Now Saul is in a place where. He has been told by Samuel, God is going to take your kingdom. He's going to give it to your neighbor. We know that that's David. But in this story, Proverbs 28, verse 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Instead of admitting, you know what, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer, Saul keeps pressing. Verse number 7. Excuse me. Yes, verse 7. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit. Can you imagine the puzzled look on the servants' faces? What? We ran all those people out. You told us to get rid of all those people, Saul. And you want one? You want one of these people to talk to? That doesn't make sense. Look at verse number 7. And his servant said to him, Oh, there's a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. That's not the Star Wars moon, Endor. Okay, Uh, but verse eight and Saul disguised himself, put on other raiment. He went and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. They recommend Saul. Hey, this is where we go. Saul heads out to meet disguise, goes out to meet her. I love the visual. Nature of the Bible and the fact that it tells us when he went to see this woman. I don't want anybody to see me. I don't want anybody to know, so I'm going to go at night. It was dark, and Saul is resorting to dark behavior. Jesus said in John 3:19, Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. He shows up at this lady's house, verse number nine, and he's he's asked. I want you to bring somebody up back from the dead. Verse number 9. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done. Hey, I know what the king said. You're a spy. You just want me to do this so that you'll get me in trouble. Now he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits, the wizards out of land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? Look how Saul responds. And Saul swore to her, By the Lord, just spiritual enough. Hey, as the Lord liveth. Now remember, God's word was pretty plain. We're not going to associate with or have people of this nature. And the person who associates with them, they're going to be cut off. And Saul is giving a pass to the person who is already, by God's word, forbidden to be doing this kind of behavior. And Saul is giving her a pass. Because he was desperate. From time to time, we're guilty of justifying bad behavior because it gets us what we want. Pastor, I would never do that. But we do. It's who we are. We see something we want, we get desperate. We say, man, I'll do whatever I have to do. Even if I have to do something that people may, I don't know if that was right or not. We step outside of line just so that we can get what we want. But then we see in verse number 11 who he wants to see. Verse number 11, she says, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. She doesn't ask Samuel who. She doesn't ask uh, where is he from. She doesn't ask any kind of detail about Samuel. Maybe she knew who it was. Hey, I know who that is. We'll see what happens. And she's about to get the surprise of her life. We see the amazement, verse 12. This is impossible. What he's asking her to do is not possible. Calling somebody back from the dead. Isn't it interesting? Maybe she knew that it was impossible because of her response. Look at verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. Ah! Can't believe what she's seeing this is an actual spirit that she's seeing she is seeing someone come back from the dead now I'm not not zombie here but uh, we don't know but she sees a physical spirit of a person and she puts it all together look at verse 12 and the woman spake to Saul saying why hast thou to see me for thou art Saul I know exactly who you are Who else would want to talk to a dead prophet? Who else would be here in my quarters trying to get me to do what's against the law? Who else would do that? And this is obviously the work of God, and Saul is asking. Isn't it interesting that she's in the presence of the king who could have her executed, and now she's getting ready to talk to God's mouthpiece in Samuel? This is bad. Not a good situation. But she tells him what she saw. Look at verse number 13. Be not afraid for what sawest thou. And the woman said, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. He stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. It's the only time in Scripture we see Saul bowing to another human being. The only time. And we're here at the end of Saul's life. Isn't it funny what... The end of someone's life causes them to do, and we don't submit ourselves very often, but Saul is so desperate that he feels like he's got to submit. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We brought in this cross yesterday in the auditorium, and John and I carried it downstairs. And it's interesting that to pick up that cross, we had to bend over. And when you pick up your cross, you have to stoop. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to follow me, you have to stoop. A form of submission. I've got to bow. I've got to submit myself, my dream, my will, my desires for the purpose of following. Kyle Eidelman said, the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. Call yourself, hey, I'm a Christian, but not doing anything to follow Jesus. Biggest threat to the church. Are we real? And this is a picture of Saul's life. Hey, I'm the king. God chose me, but I'm not submitting to him. Here he's finally submitting. Wanted the crown, but not the cross that he had to carry, which leads us to the aftermath. Look at verse 16. Then said Samuel, wherefore, then dost thou ask of me? Hey, what are you doing? Why are you bringing me back from the dead? God has allowed this miraculously to take place. Why are you doing this? And Samuel, Saul says, Samuel says, The Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of their hand. He's given him a history lesson Saul, I told you this was going to happen. I told you that the king was going to be taken from you. I told you that it was going to be given to somebody else. I told you you disobeyed all these things. Then verse 20, excuse me, verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee in the hand of the Philistines. Now Saul was tasked with protecting the land from the Philistines. That was his job. When he was anointed, he was supposed to be the protector. Now he's going to be the giver of the people to the Philistines. That's where he was. His actions put them right in the hands of the Philistines. That's where they were as a nation. Saul had given them the advantage, and he did not even know it. Didn't know it. I want to show you that tonight. Uh, Scholar, come up and help me just for a minute, if you will. Think about the advantage. The advantage. Come up here, brother. Help me real quick. Get down on your hands and knees right there. Okay, all right. In wrestling, there is a position that's called the advantage. It's called the top position. And when you're in wrestling, there is a position where you come down and you are giving, as the wrestler on the bottom position, you are giving the wrestler on top the advantage. All right? And you take your hand, you grip underneath here, and you take your hand, you put it right here. And you, as the person on top, you have the advantage over the other wrestler underneath. That is what the position is called. you got a position up there, a picture on the screen. So I have the advantage over Schuyler. He might be stronger than me, he might be bigger than me, but because of the position, I have the advantage, I have the upper hand. That's where we are. But when we think about that word, thank you, when we think about that title, that's right, uh, when we think about that phrase, the advantage, think about 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse number 11. Talking about unconfessed sin and what we do with it and how it gives Satan an advantage in our lives. It says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Saul had given Satan an advantage in the nation of Israel. He had handed the kingdom over to the Philistines, that kingdom that he was sworn to protect. With your very life, Saul, you're supposed to be the king. And you're not acting like the king. You're acting like somebody who's selfish and wants your way, not God's way. Given the advantage. And This is what David did at the beginning of chapter 27. He gave Satan an advantage. He opened that door just enough for Satan to have an advantage. Hey, in our lives, we need to keep the door shut and not give him an advantage. When that sin comes into our life and we commit sin and we know it and God speaks to our hearts and the Holy Spirit convicts us and shows us that we're wrong, we need to slam the door shut and ask God to forgive us so that Satan doesn't get an advantage in our lives. We close that door. We keep it closed. But how often does Satan have the upper hand in our lives? And we live each day at a disadvantage because we won't call sin what it is and confess and forsake it. We live every single day at a disadvantage because we won't ask the Lord to forgive us so that we can move forward. Nobody likes to give their opponent a head start in a race. Nobody likes to give somebody extra money and monopoly. Why? Because they would have an advantage. But that's what we do when God is very clear in His Word and He says, stay clean, stay holy, stay pure. I want you to do these things. I want you to stay close. Follow me closely. And we give Satan an advantage. That's what's happened here. In verse number 19, Samuel tells Saul, Saul, this time tomorrow, because of what you've done, you and your sons will be with me. That's the death notice. Within the next 24 hours, Saul, you're going to be dead. Because of your sin, Say, Pastor, is God going to smite us and strike us down because of our sin? No, but he could. He could. Say, Pastor, that's not fair. Well, he's God. He's the creator. We're not. It's his final say. And I'm not going to walk around in fear because of that, but it should cause me to realize that God's a whole lot bigger than I am and that I want to pursue him. I want to follow him. I want to stay close with him because I want to show him that I'm faithful and I want to follow. him. That should be the way that I live my life. But can I see how God wants me to go? Can I see that clear path forward? Saul's getting ready to eat his last meal, but this meal that he's eating isn't fit for a king. Not the way he's acting. But I wonder if that's our lives. Are we living at a disadvantage? Are we putting ourselves in a place where Satan can push us out of the way? Are we make it easy for him? to disrupt our life are we making it easy for him to take a place a stronghold Paul says make a stronghold in our life because we have not closed that door completely Saul ends this meal at the very end and leaves not knowing hey Samuel may be right may not we'll find out in the next couple chapters that he's going to die just like Samuel said but it could have been avoided Had David, or had Saul gotten right way back when. And where David's going in the next two chapters, all that could have been avoided way back when if he would have simply gotten right, done what God required of him at the first. And in our lives today, we can avoid a whole lot of heartache, a lot of loss, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of things in our life, challenges and struggles, if we will simply. Call sin what it is in our lives. And when God speaks to our hearts and says, hey, that's not right, we confess it, forsake it then, and move forward. But will we? That's our challenge. Will we see things the way that God sees things and agree with him on what he says? Father, thank you so much for your word. and Thank you for the life of Saul and David. Thank you for who they were and, Lord, how it applies to us today. Uh, Lord, we have a great opportunity to follow you. We have a great opportunity to see things the way that you do. Lord, you've given us a truth from your word, Lord, that we can follow, that we can submit our lives to. But, Lord, the choice is ours. You've left that very clear that whether or not we follow you, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with our choice to follow you. Lord, please help us to seek you. Your word says, seek you while you may be found. Call upon you while you're near. Lord, help us to follow you, Lord, while we've been given opportunity. Lord, please bless us, speak to us, and help us to follow you in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.